0: Hey, everyone. This is Connor. And on today's episode, we sit down with Joe Zanka and dive deep into his company, On Demand Storage. Joe is 28 years old and has been running On Demand Storage for the past four years, growing it into a nationwide brand. And so we sit down with Joe and talk about everything from his tips on how to go and sell more, the numbers behind On Demand Storage, and how Joe would go about making money if he was just graduating from college again today. If you love the episode, please be sure to subscribe and toss a review on the podcast. We appreciate it a ton. And without further ado, please enjoy the episode. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. All right, Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You know, I was excited to come on when I saw you guys launching this on LinkedIn, and I wanted to be a part of it. So um, I appreciate you guys you know, welcoming me on, and uh, I'm excited to talk.
0: Absolutely. And so now for anyone who's listening right now and, and not sure on your background uh, and or what on-demand storage is, would you mind just giving like a quick little like 30, 60, 60 second background on uh, you know who you are and what on-demand storage is all about?
1: Sure, sure. So my name is Joe Zanka. I co-founded on-demand storage with two guys who I went to Babson College with. Uh, we all played baseball. We kind of founded the company when we were at school doing student storage. For um, our classmates at Babson, you know, basically international kids or students that live far away from campus, we'd come pick up their items and put them in storage for them over the summer, and then we'd deliver them back when we all went back to school. So we took that idea and ran with it and started doing student storage around the country at different colleges, you know, some of which we have exclusive contracts with, like the University of Florida. Um, That's one of our bigger contracts. But since you know we've been operating in boston as a full time you know student i'm uh, not student full time moving and storage as well as international and, and domestic shipping company for a long time and what we're trying to do is taking on demand storage the idea and bringing it to every city in the country by partnering with moving companies who have the assets to fulfill the jobs that we're generating through our online marketing efforts so our, we take our brand we launch it in a multitude of different ways on the internet, and you know through different sales funnels that we've created. We generate jobs in specific cities that we have partnerships in, um, and then our moving partners who have the trucks, warehouse space, and professional movers to go do these jobs will go perform them um, for residential customers, students, and commercial customers um, as these jobs come in. So that's how we're trying to grow, basically become a brand within the uh, moving and storage world.
2: I'm super excited to dig into that uh, at some point because it sounds like you have like a really unique mixture between like a franchise and a brand and you have all these different aspects that are kind of coming together. But before we go there, so you went to uh, Babson, right? So it's one of the, like the best colleges for entrepreneurship. And I think you got a full-time job after school though, right? Even though you guys started this while you're in school, what yeah. like why did you end up deciding to go the full-time job route rather than taking this on right after graduation?
1: Well, you know, I mean it's funny because I give Babson a lot of credit and I, I love my experience there. And I, I took a lot of great classes, met a lot of great people. Um, But I, I feel like, and maybe it was just, I, I feel like we've gone through even kind of an entrepreneurial revolution over the past two or three years. But while I was there, at least, um, you know, we, we were making modest money when we were doing the student storage thing. It was just at Babson. And, um, you know, we, it was like at that time because you know, we were just students and, And playing baseball. And so we didn't have any money. So like anything was great, but the school itself kind of groomed you to become a professional, you know, to a degree. I think, I feel like a lot of colleges do that. You know I mean? You start studying a a, a topic and then, you know, you graduate, you see all these, your classmates kind of going and getting jobs. So it almost seems like the, the only play to a degree. And so, um, you know, I was taking real estate classes. I've always loved real estate. So I had the opportunity to go work for a company, um, smaller company, private company as an analyst. And, um, you know, I kind of just took it and ran. And one of my partners who started you know, got a job, he started in May right after we graduated at his job. So he was already kind of booked up. So, I mean, we always had the bug to jump back into what we were doing. But um, no, at the end of the day, I mean, it just seemed like the thing to do at that point in time in my life was just to go get a career and um, and then realize that
2: that wasn't for me. (laughs) So are you good? Gio? So sorry. um, Are you happy kind of with with that decision? Do you think it was beneficial to get like a couple, you know, years under your belt working the uh, working the corporate life? Or do you wish you had made that transition sooner? What do you recommend other people do that might be kind of in that, you know, graduating stage trying to figure out what's next?
1: I think it's kind of important to, to, you know, if you if you've never experienced it before, um, go see what it's like. I mean, for me, what it taught me most of anything is that one, you know, so I worked at this company where the owner of the company was, you know, a, an older guy. Uh, he founded it when he was in basically in college buying property and he basically just turned it into this conglomerate. And he, you know, he owned hotels. We own, he owned 300 unit apartment complexes kind of around the world. Like it was, it was very impressive. Um, and every time I was there, you know, I was 23 years old and I'd look around and, you know, I'd see the other people that, you know, had been, working there and and they were all fantastic and they were great at what they did. But I kind of always had aspirations to be, you know, that top guy. Like, I was just like, you know, I I feel like I could be the one that was doing the, you know, either buying the properties or making, you know, making these deals like right out of the jump. Just, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but like my goal in life was to just, you know, kind of just be the one that's leading the charge. And so, I recommend for anybody who's you know graduating college, if you have a passion and if you study something really hard and you want to go after it, um, then you know, and you have a good opportunity to get a job, you know, make a, a couple bucks. Um, it's not a bad thing to get some experience under your belt, especially for me. I would say sales experience is huge. You know, I mean, if you can get some professional sales training, I think that will carry you a long way in life because you can inevitably start selling anything for your on your own. Um, but I would recommend if you have an opportunity to do that and you know someone's gonna pay you a decent amount of money to go do it. um, I would take that chance, I would, you know, jump into that and learn as much as you can. And then, you know, I think I wanted to touch upon what you guys did, but there's so much opportunity now in business to start companies like while you're working another job as well. Like you can do an e-com company online, you can do a you know a marketing agency type of business where you don't have to dive in fully right out of the gate. You know what I mean? You can kind of get your feet wet while getting paid from someone else. So it's not always the worst thing in the world. I look back on my situation. I'm glad I did it because I feel like if I never did, um, I'd never really know what it was like. And I'd never know if I was missing anything now that I've made that transition. um, There's no going back for me, you know? Yeah. So
0: a hundred percent. I think like one thing that you touched on there too is like, you recommend that everyone should go and try it. Like whether it's a side hustle or whether you're a student in college and you're actually going and like running a business. Like my personal experience, like I, I genuinely believe that if you are not, st- like in, in starting a company is not for everyone, but I no. genuinely believe that if you don't have a side hustle, if you don't have a business that you're starting in college, like you're definitely missing out on a huge mindset shift. Because I think that like, when you're starting a business in college, a couple of different things, right? Like one, you have so many more resources, you're in college, right? Like most colleges provide you resources. There's a student card that you don't have that nobody talks or that you have that nobody talks about where it's like people will literally help you because you're a student. And then the second you graduate now, it's just like, nope, you're just like some unemployed dude who's working on this pet startup, you know, or whatever you're working on. Right. (laughs) Uh, And then the the third one and the biggest one, I think this is kind of like where you started talking about when you got into your actual job is like, it's a huge mindset shift, man. I mean, I think like there are people who literally will go and work 50 or 60 years. And in their mind, the only way that you can go and earn a salary is if somebody, or sorry, not even salary, earn money, is if somebody else is giving you that money and that somebody else gives you money in the form of, you know, uh, an hourly wage or whatever, right? Um, And I think entrepreneurship definitely gets a bad stigma where it's like, oh, you're this huge risk taker. It's super bold. Like, you know, you're going out there and doing something crazy. Like, no, for the most part, like, entrepreneurship is really just about diversifying your revenue uh, and rather than diversifying it from, you know, one main company or whatever, you're diver- diversifying it over dozens or hundreds of thousands of different uh, customers. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's definitely a big mindset shift. Uh, one question I kind of just want to dive into a little bit more is like, so right. I'm sure there's probably a ton of people who are listening to this right now and they just, they just graduated. They just got the job. And, you know, I think Northeastern's is pretty cool. Cause you got like, we went to North- Northeastern, Uh, and you get to take a bunch of different co-ops before actually taking a job. So you kind of like get a feel as to what you like, what you don't like, and like what you want to do more of, um, what point when you were working that job after Babson, were you like, you know what, like, this isn't for me. Like, I, I see this guy, he's making a lot of money. Like, like maybe that could be me or was there a certain factor that kind of turned you off and made you want to go and, and work on on on-demand storage full-time?
1: Um, I was never a good employee. I was always someone that worked, but um, like I would work in order to earn, like to earn money. And I always kind of, I, I kind of did grow up with that mindset that you were talking about, you know I mean? Where the world of entrepreneurship hadn't opened up to me. So I'd go get a job, you know, doing whatever, just to make, you know, hourly money so that I could, you know, have something to, to live off of. But when, um, you know, I started doing, on-demand storage in college, uh, that, like you said, that mindset shift was, was more important than anything, than the money that we made or anything like that. You know, we took a little money and put it in our pocket, but at the end of the day, knowing that you could go out and market something and create something and then have people pay you for it. Like that was awesome to find out. And so I went into that new job, like with that already in the back of my mind that like, Hey, I've, even though it wasn't like, we didn't earn like a, a full-time living, but, um, I've done something like that before and like, I'm capable of doing it again. And so I was never, like I said, I was never really a great employee. I thought when I, whenever I was in the office, especially working for someone else, like my, I felt like my creative gene was just like completely suppressed. I felt like, um, you know, as soon as five o'clock, five 30 hit, like I wanted to get out the door and I, I didn't want to think about work again until I got back there, you know, at eight 30 the next morning. So, um, now it's like the opposite, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to wake up. As early as possible, and I sit on my computer or my phone, you know, doing as much as I can late into the night. Not because Enter, like turn the brain off, but I just like to do it now. You know what I mean? So it's just like you got to realize. I, I think to answer your question more than anything, I don't think there's a certain point in time where you say like, "Hey, this is the right time to take the jump." I think that it just starts to eat away at you if you have that bug to the point where you like physically need to, or you know, you you you're just holding yourself back like you almost feel it it's going to sound corny as hell but like you do feel it like inside you just like all right there's not going to be a better time and i always felt like when i when i graduated school i didn't move right into the city with my my buddies i stayed home for a little while so that was a good time because i could save some money from rent you know my expenses were low so i was like is there a better time than ever to, to just dive into this thing and see what can happen and we had like a little bit of a plan, but we didn't even have like a great plan. You know what I mean? Like this on-demand storage business plan that you're hearing right now has formed over four years of just working hard at it and like carving it out. Um, but that's another good thing to point out is that you don't need the, the greatest plan in the world to dive into this thing. You know, if you can keep your expenses low and, um, and you have a little bit of an idea of what you're doing, you know, and, and you have the bug, like you can succeed in whatever you want to do.
2: I really do think that. I feel like having having the ability to wake up and be excited to go to work is so underrated. I think I feel like that's one of the best things to do. Like waking up and hating the fact that you have to go into work and like dreading the next eight hours is, or how many hours is so miserable. Um, it's so crazy. Man. Like it's
1: like Sundays used to be the worst, you know. what I mean, and I, I like, and I, I like to try to fill up my Sundays doing things like playing golf or watching football or whatever, you know. But anytime like Sunday around four o'clock would roll around, and I was working another job. I'd be like. You know, I, I dread go back and dreading going back to the office, but, and that's not for everybody. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't think everybody feels that way, but as soon as I made that shift and then we started like actually making this company work to a degree, um, I would be on Sunday be like, you know, damn, I don't have enough time on to like get done when I need to get done. And then it's going to go into Tuesday and now I'm going to be up till whatever Tuesday, but that's like, fun, like that's, I'm all right with that, you know?
2: You mentioned that sales was one of the big kind of takeaways of the corporate job you had. Is there anything like specifically that, that, you know, that you could point to that transferred over that you really benefited from? Was it kind of sales in general or any specific tactics you learned? So
1: I was an analyst and, um, but within my company, it came with talking to a lot of real estate brokers who are just, you know, salesmen at, at, at their core. And, um, and I I was able to pick up on a lot of, you know, different just, just strategies that they would, you know. I feel like people are born salesmen in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, you, you can sell stuff, you can't. Some people, you know, I'm sure you guys have some friends who you just like, you know, that kid could sell anything to anybody um, just because of their personality. But where I think that you truly benefit from sales is like there are certain aspects of it, like, you know, controlling a conversation. And, you know, if someone starts to steer off, you know, getting them back to the point where you're, where you're trying to go. Um, always setting follow-up calls, you know, always having a mission going into calls um, that I feel like, you know, Good, good sales companies, or you know, good brokerages, or the most polished sales guys, you know, at some of these top companies and at these brokerage companies, were so good at having actionable steps after the next call. Where they're very good at you know going into a call with a mission and coming out with you know that mission either accomplished or partially accomplished to a degree, or you know if the mission failed, you know, kind of just slashing it and moving on, um, where. I learned a little bit of it and got to see it. Now, I have another partner who was um, a trained salesman at EMC, used to be EMC, now it got bought by Dell. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have one of the best training, sales training programs in in the world for, for starter salespeople. So what I got to learn from him when we started hopping on phone calls was just like exactly the stuff I'm talking about, where I had picked up on it a little bit, but like I didn't know why exactly those brokers were doing that. And then you see someone on the phone you know, with a mission. And anytime the person that they're talking to kind of is starting to veer off or they bring it right back to that middle line where you now you're towing, you know, and trying to drive the whole call towards the inevitable goal. And I think if you can get trained on, you know, how to do that or watch someone who's really good at doing it, um, it's so beneficial to see because you'll start hopping on the phone and realizing that like, you know, hey, I've been talking for the last 10 minutes. And I'm not letting this person who I'm trying to you know, do business with say anything. And you, know, like, you don't realize you're doing it. You're just trying to get out all the information, but at the end of the day, it's not getting you anywhere. You know what I mean? you got to let them talk. You got to let, so I thought that um, just hearing other people do it was like extremely beneficial to what I do now where I can hop on the phone and, and hopefully be able to steer it a little bit in the direction that I want it to go and not let them kind of control where this conversation is is inevitably going to lead
0: yeah and i know like to that point i would literally i think it was on gong or some other sales analytics tool was showing uh results of people who end up closing more compared to people who just aren't as high sales performers uh and talk time is almost always one of the biggest variables right so like if you let the other person go and talk more than 50 percent of the time um chances are you're more likely to go and close the sale at least looking at like over hundreds of thousands or millions of different sales calls. It's kind of ridiculous. Um,
1: Crazy, man. And you just, yeah. some people just keep asking questions, you know, like the, the the best salesman will just keep asking questions so that the person on the other end of the phone is just continuing to talk. And they're kind of, they let them talk themselves into it almost, you know what I mean? And, and um, negotiation, you know, re- like learning about that is another, you know, extremely, I, I think, valuable tool as well. Um, anything you can pick up on, you know, like not only steering conversations, but repeating what other people are saying so that it's almost as if, you know, they know that you're listening to them. You know what I mean? Like you pick out a couple of words that they said, repeat it after, you know, when you're about to speak again. And that way, you know, they're, they know and trust that you're listening to everything they're saying. And it just like these subtle differences, man, they they make, they make a big difference in, and it will just allow you to speed up the growth of your company. I feel like if you know how to sell professionally.
2: That's a, what is it how to win friends and influence people right one of his biggest points is that you just got to ask other people questions and then people people love you right if you if you always ask people you know how is your day and then you, you dive into it rather than talking about yourself I mean, that's one of the quickest ways to um you know get get someone to to enjoy speaking to you is just asking them a lot of questions about themselves
1: yeah something to talk people want to talk about themselves people i mean hey people. i'm you guys got me on the, on the show. I, I wanted to share with the world a little bit about what I'm doing. People just like to tell people what they're doing. You know, it's just, uh, it is
0: what it is. A hundred percent. And for people like the, the one thing I want to definitely hit on here too, is like, you know, we're all kind of like business guys, right? But like, I, I want to make sure that this podcast is like actually just valuable to anyone who's in their twenties, right? Like even if you're not in business or sales or anything like that. And I feel sure. like the biggest lesson to take away from this, I think is that everyone should try to go and get better at sales no matter if you're a nurse, an entrepreneur, an artist, an engineer, whatever it is. Because like at the end of the day, sales isn't just, hey, how do I get this guy to give me money for my product? It's how do I get this guy to go and listen to my ideas? How do I go and convince my girlfriend that this is a better restaurant to eat at than the one that she wants to go to? Which, yeah. you know, you, you, never, you never win that sale. Um, but, but even a nurse,
1: you know, how do you get your patient to... to you know, take the pills that they need to take without fighting you every time. Like, it's just exactly. it's negotiation. It's skills that you can carry. It's everything. How do you get your kid? How do you get your three-year-old to listen? to You You know what I mean? Like those are things that like, I feel like I would love to watch like a top performing salesman deal with their kid. I feel like they'd probably, it, I, I bet it's like hilarious. You know what I mean? Like
0: that would be you can so negotiate
1: funny. them into doing whatever they want.
0: So, um, so first of all, super interesting conversations. Uh, I think, um, Kind of moving forward now, I kind of want to start diving into some of the on-demand storage stuff, the nitty-gritty, like why you started it, how you're getting your customers, all that kind of stuff. So like the the one big question I have is so you went to you went to the top school for entrepreneurship. Um, you know, you're you're in this stage, and I know you said that you like I think you're only like what, four years older than us, whatever. So like we're pretty much the same generation when it comes to like entrepreneurship. And I think it's safe to say that we live in this era of entrepreneurship and starting a business where it's like, you know. Everyone wants to start an Uber. Everyone wants to start Facebook. Everyone wants to start this high-growing tech company. Everyone wants to go and start, like, you know, these super flashy businesses. Um, You know, storage is not sexy. Storage is not, like, necessarily this cool and and moving, right? Like, they're not these, like, cool, hot, sexy businesses. They're these blue-collar jobs uh, that just kind of haven't really been innovated on in a a long time. Like, I'm curious why specifically moving and storage caught your attention and why you wanted to go into that space.
1: Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, when we bought the name On Demand Storage, we just saw potential in that name as a company. And the funny thing is that there are other companies that are Silicon Valley funded companies that are in our same space. You know what I mean? And you know they've they've raised you know hundreds of millions of dollars trying to get their ideas off the ground, and they call themselves On Demand Storage companies. So if you look up like you know, Clutter, MakeSpace, they're great companies. They're growing, uh, but they call themselves On Demand Storage. So it's almost the name of our company. Is like a is the name of a a growing brand within the moving and storage world. So we were able to snag that like right before we started. It was me, and my two partners, just sitting in Babson. Uh, it was a year after we graduated, but we went back there to do some work because it was like a middle ground. We're sitting in the cafeteria and we bought the domain name for like fifteen hundred bucks. Threw it on a credit card, and we were like, "This is gonna be worth something." And so that name like sparked the whole thing. And you know the good thing about we came to storage because we had some experience doing it for students and it's not sexy at all you know what i mean like for the for a long time when we were getting our business off the ground we were the guys on the trucks we were the guys doing the storage you know we have our own warehouse space still to this day and um and it's full but we were the ones that put all that stuff in storage and i think that the reason why we chose it is because we saw potential in the name we saw this growing brand and when you think about the value behind storage is that there's long-term reoccurring revenue. So people will put stuff in storage. It's just like a gym membership. You know what I mean? Like you buy a gym membership, you go for a month, and then you know it starts to get cold and you stay inside for five months and you don't go, but you keep paying. Storage has a similar model where people put stuff in storage and they just leave it there for a long time. So if you're able to acquire a lot of people in storage, you start racking up this monthly reoccurring revenue where you start off with one customer paying you 200 bucks. And then you get 200 customers paying you 200 bucks, and then you get a thousand customers paying you 200 bucks. And every first of the month, you get to you know hit it basically charge them again for. So you're providing them value by having the you know putting their stuff somewhere, but you're also benefiting you know on a long term scale by every customer you add, you know might be x amounts of thousands of dollars. So we recognize that opportunity. We already had experience doing it. We had the name, and then it took. I would say a good few years of us being on the trucks and doing it to the point where we had enough experience in the moving and storage world to then go speak with moving and storage guys, blue collar, old school, you know, nitty gritty, like dot and T, cross and T's, dot and I's, like just no bullshit guys, and talk to them about moving and storage from a firsthand perspective. You know what I mean? So because we went and did it, we were able to speak to them now. With like a hey, we're not just some tech guys who are just you know gonna come in here and, and throw this nonsense at you because you know we're coming from that millennial generation and we get branded by like that no matter what we're doing. Um, we were coming to them with like they, hey, we've done, we've been in your shoes, we've been on the trucks, we have moved thousands of items. Let us make this simpler for you and apply the internet. And the last thing I wanted to touch upon was what you mentioned was that we, as soon as we we dove in, we realized that. There are moving and storage companies that, you know, making tens of millions of dollars. But when it comes to technology, they're still stuck in like the, you know, the nineties. And so we were like, you know, Hey, we have a real opportunity here to apply tech to something that is outdated and partner with companies that know everything about the logistics that go into what we do. So we don't have to be perfect at that side, but we can be really good at the tech side and generate jobs on their behalf because they're not currently doing that. So it was, that was a long-winded answer, but um, there's pretty much three or four reasons why it ended up, it's not a sexy business, but there is some sexy opportunity within it to make a decent amount of money if, you, if you're if you able to do it the right way.
2: I love that you guys started with the uh, the domain name first. I think, I think buyer, may, first. May, maybe also Connor has a, uh, I think of a severe addiction to buying domain names we think are <laughs> interesting.
0: Gio, <laughs> Geo, Geo, like, like um, three years ago was like, you know what? carbonated coffee is going to be a big thing about carbonated.coffee dumbest fucking idea I think i have ever heard
2: you're gonna you're gonna make me rebuy it now before we publish this episode someone else is gonna scoop it up do carbonated
0: coffee it's gonna be a big uh carbonated.coffee.com
2: carbonated.coffee
0: it's worse that's worse than carbonated.coffee.com
1: <laughs> I, I don't know dude. I, if you can buy if, if you're good at that stuff go scoop up a bunch of them sit on them I feel like they appreciate with time, you know, if you buy them within like something. It's tough.
2: I think we flipped one out of maybe the 50 we own for like a little bit of money. But I mean, I feel like, yeah, if I see one that's interesting, it's like, all right, well, I got to scoop this up, even though no chance I'm doing it. So I love the fact that you guys started with that. Uh, um, So how did you, I'm super curious. So I'm assuming was your first customer, who would you consider that? Would that be like the Babson students or Babson? And then how did you kind of expand that to get, you know, the second school on board and the third? I feel like for a lot of people listening, like that's always, you know, how do you, how do you get that starting point going from, you know, zero to one and actually starting the business? I feel like it's people's toughest pain point here.
1: So we always started with a student. So like we never had a relationship with the school Babson and that when we were doing student storage there, we had relationships with the students. So when we dove into it, we approached it from a student first perspective. Now we're going after as many contracts as we can get at this point in time with colleges, but. We figured if we could master how to get students signed up without having a contract, that would be of value too. So there's different ways to do that. You know, there's social media marketing, SEO marketing. So students go on there and find what you do, but then there's just good old fashioned word of mouth. So hiring, so we, we still to this day hire students on campus and have them market on our behalf, you know, throughout the, this semester right now, the spring semester. So, you know, we kind of run them through like a um, student rep type of gamut where, you know. They get paid for, they get paid a commission for every student they get signed up. It's a pretty cool little program, but we started by, you know, we realized that we could grow the company pretty quickly if we were able to hire the right types of students um, on campuses all over the place. So that's how we approached it in Boston. We went out and, you know, hired students from Northeastern. We went out and hired students from Harvard, you know, MIT, anywhere that this would be a good opportunity. Um, But to answer your question about the contractual work, it's kind of funny, I mean, when it comes to that stuff, like there's, there's a million different ways you can get them. Um, obviously the best way is to have a warm intro, but we start, our first contract ever was the university of Florida Gators. And we still have it to this day. And it's like one of the, you know, biggest, like most popular schools in the country. And it came from literally, we cold called a woman at the school she picked up and, you know, having that, having that sales experience, we just kind of convinced her that we were the company for her. And, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, when we did, it was me and my two partners sitting in a, a, you know, an office that was like a 10 by 10 office. And, and we, you know, we basically were able to convince them to use our service. And then we went and figured it out from there. Um, there's no secret to how to do that outside of just, you know, being, being bold enough to make the call and then being, you know, I guess willing enough and strategic enough to actually go execute what you promised you could do. <laughs> and, at the end of the day, that's what we did, and I've spent a lot of time in Gainesville, Florida, that I'm not proud of, but I had to because we told them that we could store 400 kids, 500 kids, and so we had to go do it.
0: Dude, I, I gotta say that's probably the, my favorite part about the internet is that it's very difficult for any other business to actually gauge what size you guys are, right? So, like, if they know, if they knew that you guys were just three kids sitting in a 10 by 10 room, just cold calling random universities like probably not, not a shot that they're going to go and, and take your call and take you guys seriously. But because of the fact that you guys go, you guys have a legitimate name. Hey, we're on demand storage. This That sounds like a nationwide name already. Even if you guys aren't in a single state, you know, we're on demand storage. My name is Joe. I'm our sales representative here. Oh, let me go get my manager for you. Right. Like the, oh, the beaut- yeah. Hold you the manager always-
1: card whenever you can.
0: The, the the beautiful part about the internet is that you actually can't go and tell the scale of something and so it kind of gives you a lot of leverage and being able to go and like you know actually punch above your weight class which is pretty cool
1: no you can't and you, you don't want to be um you know what's that documentary that just, the the one where the kid convinced everybody to go to that island and then it was, it fire, was festival? Fire. <laughs> the fire, fire festival but you don't want to fire fest one. people yeah I, I think that's like the worst thing you can do but if you're gonna go promise people that you can do something you know hey they're like, hey, we have three, four, 500 kids that are going to use that service. We already knew that we could, we knew how to service it. You know what I mean? We weren't promising anything we couldn't do. Um, it happened to be in Florida, so we had to actually go there. We don't, we don't, we, we send our own guys down there occasionally sometimes now. But again, we have that partnership program that works out really well. But so, you don't want to fire fest people. No. <laughs> you just want to tell them confidently that you can get the job that they need done. And then you got to, <laughs> you got to sack
0: up and go do it. Yeah, exactly. You just got you got to be able to actually go and perform too. Um. So wait, all right. So, so clarify something for me, because I'm curious. So you're selling the majority of your target market right now, students or universities? And I know that that's a weird question, but like, are you selling to the administration? or Are you selling to the student?
1: So the student is the one that purchases our service. So the, the school doesn't pay for anything. But if you get the blessing of the school to advertise for you, that's when you know the thing starts to really kick off. Because at the end of the day. The student is the one that's in the dorm room whose stuff we go pick up. The parent is typically the one that pays for it. So the parent gets the email. They say, all right, you know, I'm sitting here in Texas. My kid goes to school in Boston. I'm not flying there. Um, so I'm just going to have this company go do it. And so the real way we reach the parents is through the school. So a lot of the times, we'll, at this point in our company, you know, we have full-time sales efforts trying to make relationships with colleges around the uh, the country. And then the cool part about if you make a relationship with a college, like we have a full-time partner right now in Jacksonville, um, Jacksonville, Florida, which isn't like, again, not the sexiest city in the world, but we started there because we have that Gainesville contract. So our partner was already making money there. And that contract allowed us to say, Hey, convince them to hit, Hey, let's do business year round in Jacksonville. So it's funny because getting one school contract that, you know, can generate a, a decent amount of revenue for, um, partner in that area will lead to you know hopefully a a long-term relationship with that partner. So we're trying to get as many contracts that we can because that's promised business a lot of the time. And then the school, the kids are the ones that are actually... The kids and the parents are the ones that are actually buying the product though. So you have to... Your website has to appeal to them and and be easy for them to navigate. Um, But at the end of the day, if you can get a school to give you the blessing to market to the campus, that's how we, you know, make the most bang for our buck.
2: It might be a good time now to kind of transition to, you know, you kind of started as more, you go and pick up other people's storage, you store it away. Um, but the conversation we've had last week, you kind of talked about that. It's kind of in a pretty significant, not change, but expansion off of that with all the different partners you're working with and, and how you guys have been growing. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Like the part, like the program as a whole, you know, how it works. Yeah, the 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 program and like the different partners you guys you, you kind of grab in and helping them with kind of SEO and, and PPC and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, so what we've been able to design to this point is you know there are so many agencies out there that do SEO. They specialize in SEO. They specialize in social media marketing, and you know a lot of the good ones can command a $3,000, sometimes four thousand dollar a month budget. And you know if you want to do especially if you want to advertise online for social media or you know Google pay-per-click ads you know you can spend as much as you want you know your budget is kind of unlimited based on you know what you're selling and and how much you know how how, how fast you want to penetrate that market. but what we do is is we kind of combine we we've basically taken these four years to like you know marinate this this funnel that we've created that that gets students not only students but they get you know, residential customers and commercial customers to be attracted to our website. And so what we do is we partner with a company that's not doing anything like that, but they have, you know, their warehouses is outfitted to the gills. They have all the, the proper stuff to do it. And we charge a monthly reoccurring fee to that partner to utilize our sales funnel, our salespeople, um, our website and the software that goes into the student storage element of everything, and our customer service. So. We'll go there. We'll say, "Hey, for X amount of dollars, you know, we have different packages that we offer them too, and the different packages get them different things, just like a lot of different companies. But for this amount of money, you can be the exclusive provider of on-demand storage in this territory. So let's say it's like Greater Cleveland. So we'll make a a, a relationship with someone in the Greater Cleveland area. They pay us a monthly fee to get access to our, our all that stuff that I just mentioned, and we start running that funnel in these areas, trying to attract all these different customers." Our salespeople answer the phone calls, they book the business, they use the customers' rates. So that's another big thing, too, is that moving and storage rates, they're not standardized. Like it's just like everything. If you're in New York City, it's probably the most expensive. If you're in, you know, Greater Cleveland or Topeka, Kansas, you know, you get it a lot cheaper. And so we use our partners' rates, and that's what we advertise to the people, the, you know, the, the customers. And that way they're familiar and they're not getting something that they're not used to paying for. And we go book business for these guys, they go perform the job, and then we get a revenue share on each job too. So it's pretty cool because you get a revenue share on the move, you get a revenue share on the monthly recurring storage. So if you get a lot of storage customers, that's us add up fast. And then we get the reoccurring monthly fee that we charge customers. And the best part is, is, is the more that our ads optimize, the less that we need to like pump into that funnel. So the more that we can start taking you know more of the money as just straight profits. Um, but right now our only interest is to try to make as many good relationships as we can prove to these partners that we're a valuable asset and, you know, really, really get the funnel like optimized to the point when we can go get 200 partners instead of the, you know, 16 to 20 that we're currently at.
0: No, it's so smart, man. Cause like, cause realistically what, what the model is in its core is almost an agency model where you have a ton of like upside on the back end now. I thought like it's a yeah.
1: sort
2: of marketplace model, like right, like you're you're kind of just connecting to people, or yeah. What's how do you how do you view your own you know, business <laughs> yeah. right now?
1: It's an it, it it is well we like to call it a partnership. So I mean we um it, it's it's a it's a mixture between an agency model and like a franchise model. So I mean um, the franchise aspect of it is the exclusivity, right? And you're buying into the exclusivity using the assets that you already have to, to just make more money. Um, and the marketing agency aspect of it is that monthly reoccurring fee. Um, and so the it's almost like the more customers you get into storage, you know, those are kind of like royalties because they just you just keep getting paid on people that you already went and picked up. Um, but the the agency model, you know, it's like an agency, but if an agency were to run SEO ads for for you, correct, like it would be super valuable if they're good at it uh, to get your product out there and found on Google, but they're not going to book business for you. You know what I mean? They're not gonna They're not gonna close the leads when they come in, and that's the differentiator that we make for these companies is that we have the leads come in through our own funnel, and then we close them, and then we deliver and book business to our our partners. So they don't actually have to do much of anything outside of just perform the work that they do every day. And yeah. so it's like a tough description when you try to put like a real thing on it, but um, it adds a lot of value to the people that, you know, it's, it, if we get that funnel cranking, which we can in a lot of places, um, you know, these guys see the value pretty quick. It's, oh, totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You guys, are, you guys are marketing and sales, right? You're getting the leads and you're closing the leads. And the, so I think from any um, just overall storage operator, it makes a ton of sense to go and work with you guys. Cause it sounds like, You know your incentives are fully aligned with them, right? Get the most dollar that you can per storage. Um, Yep. In terms of like scale, right? We talked we talked a little bit about numbers last week. Like, could you give the listeners just some idea as to like where you guys are at scale wise today, and like what your plans are this year, if you're comfortable sharing those numbers? I think it would just kind of like you know be pretty cool uh, part of the conversation to have people know where you're at today.
1: Yeah. I mean, we started our company really, we, we bootstrapped it. And, and that's another thing that I want to mention to people is that, you know, I think that um, the culture that we're in nowadays, you know, the, the shark tank culture where it's like, you know, everyone has to just go raise money. You know I mean? People just have a high idea and they have to go raise money to, to perform it and they have to go give away equity. And, and it's, there's a, there's a time and a place for that for sure. Um, and it's super valuable to, to trade a little bit of equity to get someone's advice and to get their money to keep funding, but we started our company with you know um, a, a small investment and some of our own money, and you know we kind of bootstrapped it to this point. So when we started out, you know we went from like the first year of our business, we made about you know three hundred thousand dollars in sales, and it wasn't you know a lot. Of, and then second year doubled. Third year we took we took on a new model, so we plateaued a little bit. So that third year we made about, you know, we made about six to 700, but what we did was we just reformed the whole model into what we're doing now. So we were able to do that and we were able to do it much more profitably than when we were making, you know, that, that amount of money that the year before. And now, you know, last year we were able to eclipse the, you know, 1.5 ish area this year we're going for four. And we think that in 2022, with the model that we've created, if we do it the right way, we can hopefully eclipse like, you know, 10. And that would be our goal. So we're gonna try to go from 1.5 to four to 10. And um, and then from there, the sky's the limit. I really think that like the model we've created, if you do it the right way, if you button everything up to the point where you you can sell it to, you know, there's, there's so many different ways you can do it. I mean, we're in greater Boston, right? You think about just in Boston alone, it's a pretty small city. You could have a North Shore partner, you could have a Boston partner, you could have a South Shore partner, you could have a Worcester partner um so that's like four different opportunities in one small little area. Never mind what you could create create in Florida, you know what I mean, there's probably eight cities down there that you could do this in um New York City, you know all the boroughs, all the surrounding cities. It's just if you're able to do it the right way, the opportunity is kind of endless, so we like to think that we're gonna go there, 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 and then hopefully. We're on the path to, you know, being able to eclipse, you know, maybe the the nine figure mark at some point. Valuation wise, at least, who knows? But that's our goals. That's, that's what that's we're that's what we're shooting for.
2: That's definitely an exciting goal. Do you see yourself like, is this what you plan on doing next, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, whatever, whatever sort of time frame you wanna you wanna put on that? Is this something you really wanna scale out as as far as possible or kind of keep a good? a good balance, sell it one day. Have you thought about that at all?
1: Yeah, we thought about it a lot. And I think there's a lot of opportunity within this world um, that, that the space that we're in to, to have a good exit. You know what I mean? I think that there's a lot of companies um, that are interested in what we're doing and and the model that we built out, you know, is is valuable to people who are investing because of the reoccurring aspect of it. Um I think that, you know, the plan would be to get to a point where it's attractive for a potential buyer. Um, and at what point that is, you know, I'm, I'm not positive yet. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's profitable, you know what I mean? If you're, if you have a company that's doing 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, but you're pulling in, you know, 20, 30% profit margin, if you're able to do that, you know, sometimes it's like, why bother even sell? Because you're probably, you know, putting a good chunk of change in your pocket at that point too. So our goal is to reach like, you know, first try to reach those revenue marks and then evaluate our options when we, when we get there, um, you know, as, as we start to, to climb that ladder. Uh, but I think that, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, what the exit might look like. And um, I'm just not positive yet, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so if you guys have- don't, oh, sorry, you can go. Come uh, I was just gonna say, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, I think like the other thing is like people are hearing this probably thinking like you know most people that are listening to this I'm guessing don't own their own business. Uh, at least that's just my assumption. Might be totally wrong, but they're like okay, you know, damn, this guy is 28 years old, doing over a million a year, on track to do four, on track to do ten, right? Like, I guess one question I'm curious about is from a service business, right? Like, what are the actual costs that you guys go incur? And like, you don't have to share all of the margins and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't expect you to, but like, what, what does that look like from your guys' side?
2: Well, the,
1: from a service business around here, you know, you, you you're able to do it. Like if you keep your um, it's challenging because within our, within our industry, like, you know, traditional moving company, I think, you know, a, a good one will make about, you know, 15, 15% profit margin at the end of the year. Now, some of these guys, you know, do big business and, and it's great. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that you can like repackage that revenue and, and take it in different ways. So the value that we're adding to a lot of them is that we're filling their warehouse, which is typically their biggest asset and usually owned by the owner of the moving company that we're doing it with. So the more money they can make off that, the better, and they can, you know, do different um, corporations within their corporation. You know what I mean? And I, that might not make sense to people who are listening, but you can make your warehouse a separate entity than your normal business. And and you can do a lot of different, you know fun things with it to, to make, to pull as much money as possible out of it. Um, from a service business, you know, that's, that's where most moving companies make their money. And that's what, like, you know, I would say the 15, 20% is where our day-to-day um, on-demand storage business in Boston operates around. But from a um, profitability standpoint, when it comes to the partnership program, you know, we got that 10% reoccurring every month. So that's a 10% profit margin right off the rip. And then, you know, if we're able to, most of the costs from a ad standpoint and a salesperson standpoint um, is covered by the monthly fee, then at the end of the day, you know, anything on top of that 10% that we're able to either upcharge or um, any money that we're able to now, because the ads have optimized, not have to spend on marketing just becomes more and more profit. So like we've, you know, one thing, I ask a lot of, I have the, the podcast that, you know, I was talking to you guys about. And one question that I ask, um, a lot of my guests is, is a book recommendation. And, and I know I'm just slipping this in here right now, but we read this book. Called we read this book called profit first halfway through our company. And it teaches you how to look at profit from a different angle. And, um, so if you continue to just do things in a profitable manner and just build off it, build off it, build off of it, um, you know, it, it just added so much value to our business. We were able to chop out so many unnecessary expenses uh, from a, ser- a servicing standpoint that um, I think just opens up your eyes to like, you know, I don't need to do all this work and not make any money. Like, you know, the, the you, so that's something that, you know, if you're looking to start a business, it's a great read because it will teach you to change your mindset about like, you know, the, Hey, this is a startup. I can't take money for three years. You know I mean? It's, it's different than that. And so, um, and it will change, you know, from your question, Connor, the way that you look at, you know, profitability and margin first.
2: I think one of my favorite, um, books kind of, which discusses like the franchise model of it is probably, uh, E-Myth Revisited. I don't know if you've read that one, but it's, well, it was a recommendation Mm -hmm. recently. I, I, I think I might have it in the, uh, the Amazon shopping cart. (laughs) It's, It's a wonderful one in terms of like, how do you frame your business? Um, but back to yours, what, What's like your most frustrating or like difficult part of what you do? I'm assuming that there's got to be like something that that is either like really really annoying that you deal with, or is just really difficult in the business you're in.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's moving in storage. I think a lot of people will will tell you is is kind of a thankless industry. You know, what I mean, you're expected to do a really good job, and if if um if something goes wrong, even if it's a little bit out of your control, you know, it's like. Rarely do you get like, you know, these off the cuff, like awesome reviews. You know I mean? People just expect to get their stuff delivered back and not say anything. Um, but if you mess up a little bit, you know, that's when people start hounding you off the bat. So it's uh, from a customer service standpoint, you know, it can be a little bit challenging of a of the thing to deal with, especially when you're doing it at the scale that we're doing it in, in multiple different cities and dealing with multiple different partners and all this stuff. Customer service can be a challenge. Um, You know, another thing that's challenging, not quite annoying, but challenging and that not a lot of places teach you about is um, the hiring process as well. You know, that's like finding talented people is one thing, but then, you know, actually even just going through the nitty gritty of like hiring an employee and, um, you know, giving them what they need to, to live, you know, a, a comfortable life, but also, you know, motivating them enough to do a really good job within a startup world, but we need, we, we only can take on, you know, a players at this point in our company, like we're still small. So we need everybody to be, you know, pushing themselves pretty hard. That's a challenge. And that's something that, you know, we, um, even though I went to Babson and, and it was an entrepreneurial like hub, you know, they didn't, they didn't talk about that at all. Like how to hire a person and, and keep them, uh, keep them motivated and keep them happy. And so that's something that as a business owner, um, you know, you'll, once you dive in and start to grow, um, it can be a little bit tough, but you know, you got to lean on people as much as you can for some advice. Like you guys mentioned before.
0: Yeah. I saw, I saw that you guys just, uh, hired Bennett, right. I worked with him at, uh, at Lola.
1: Did you work up at, with Bennett? Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my, uh, that was my last co-op, um, at Northeastern. And so he was, he was doing sales there and he was constantly ripping deals. So, um, definitely a cool guy.
1: Yeah. Dude, Bennett's a man. He, um, he, we, he went to Babson with us and he was a year younger. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like we thank our lucky stars for, I I don't like COVID at all. I, I'm not a big coronavirus guy whatsoever, but it did open up this opportunity where, you know, people like Bennett kind of like, you know, just ended up, um, companies were just laying people off left and right. They didn't really know what to do. And so, he was at a point in his life, I think, where, you know, he was getting that entrepreneurial bug and, and getting like, you know, I, I'm not this corporate guy at all. And, and then that happened. And, and we were able, like, right place, right time to scoop him. And, um, you know, talk about a, a, a talented guy that I don't think we would have been able to grab if that didn't happen, right, at least right now. Um, but he's spearheading this thing, you know, I mean, he's he's the one out there talking to the moving companies every day in these different cities making deals happen. And, and it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun to
2: watch. I'm surprised that universities don't actually focus more on the hiring process, at least in like the entrepreneurship classes. I'm trying to think back and I don't think any, any really classes or anything kind of touched on, you know, how do you, how do you pick a, how do you pick an A player? Right. Like, like that's never really mentioned where, like, what sort of resources have you found that, that kind of dive into that process or I guess have made it easier, even though it's still clearly difficult.
1: We, um, when it comes to resources, it's like, I'm, I'm fortunate too, that like both, both my partners, um, their, their parents are entrepreneurs. So, you know, we we have that ability to ask them questions whenever stuff like this comes up, but, um, you start to recognize when someone's in the building, you know, that can bring a lot to the table. Like, you know, we've been fortunate enough where we've like tested people out without like, without making that like a model, like we've just had been able, like Bennett was around, right. he was, he was, covid happened you know layoffs happened so he was available someone like him we brought him on board to do some you know commission only sales and you start seeing you know the his ability to do stuff his ability to make things happen and so it kind of like chicken before the egg thing you know it's like there's one scenario where you need a job filled and you got to go hire someone there's another scenario where you have someone in the building and you can't let them go so you got to find them a job and we've been fortunate enough with number 2 has happened more often than number one. So like we've had people in the building that we were like, Hey, we just want this person on the team. Like we'll, we'll make up something for them to do until we find something for them to do. And um, and they've stuck around, you know what I mean? And, and that, that's another thing too, that like, yeah, they, they don't talk about how that happens, but a lot of it came from like just gut decisions. You know what I mean? You look at someone like Bennett and you're like, Hey, you know, we wouldn't have this kid in the building if, if COVID didn't happen. If we stick around too long and, and don't give him anything to do, he's going to leave. So you know we might just need to pull the trigger, make a couple sacrifices, and and get him in here, and and then find something for him to do pretty quick and make him stay. And um, and it's worked out great. And, and I can say that's happened a couple different times with, with our company where we've um, we've hired the person to fill a future job.
0: So you're five six years out from school right now, uh, already starting to. You know, have a ton of success on-demand storage, building up your team, building up sales, going nationwide. Um, you know, looking back five, six years from uh, five, six years ago, like what would you tell someone, either yourself or someone who's who was in your shoes, just graduating school, especially in a time like today where it's like the job market's a little bit weird. Uh, you're not sure if people are hiring or not. Um, any any advice for someone who's just kind of graduating school right now?
1: You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to learn. Um, skills Learn new skills online. I think that that is one thing that I would say that I wish I did when I was in college is like you know you can go online and, and you can learn how to, you know, honestly, there's so many businesses out there, right? There, and I would even my my personal self, I have partners, a couple of partners, one of my partners is really good at you know doing stuff on the internet. And, and I'm getting better at it, but it's not my forte. I'm lucky I have him. But there's a lot of people like me, and there's a lot of people who are way worse than me at, you know, social media type stuff, SEO related stuff, um, you know, LinkedIn, email marketing, you know what I mean? All these different values that you can add to people and all that information is just available online. So what I would tell people is that like, it's like the modern day trade, you know what I mean? If you were to go learn a trade, like plumbing or something, you know, that takes a lot of time and, and it takes you probably traveling and, 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 you know, looking over some guys back until you finally pick up a skill enough for someone to go hire you to do it. It probably takes years with this type of stuff, you can pick up a lot of knowledge really quickly, you know, through YouTube, through reading different journals, where you can take that knowledge and go apply it, you know, in the real world and make real money, like not far out of college. And so I know you guys had some success doing e com which is fantastic. And it's something that truly interests me, like to, you know, I I I wanna hear all about it. Um, But you can learn these skills that people, like who are the baby boomer generation, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s don't have, and they don't have time to learn and you can add value to their business quickly and charge, you know, a a pretty good rate to do it. And so I would recommend that anybody who's going to do something, even if you have the entrepreneurial bug, you don't need to, like we started five years ago, we started in a overhead heavy business. So we needed to buy a truck. We needed to get space. We needed office space. I'm looking back on it now, and I'm like, I, we didn't need to spend all that money right off the bat. You know, we could have started something where, you know, maybe your only your only uh, expense is is Wi-Fi, and like, and and you can just go to a a little office, or you know, you can do it from your house. Learn SEO, call up a business, or call a friend who has a business, or a a a, a cousin, aunt, uncle, whatever, and say, hey, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a month, let me make your SEO better. And you can start getting one, two, three, five, ten of those clients and making yourself a pretty little penny before you have to jump right in. So that would be my recommendation. You know, start reading about that stuff now. Start even trying to get people to to give you money now because there's a lot of people who need that service and they just don't know how to do it and they don't have the time to do it themselves. And you can be of real value to people if you know how to do stuff like that. Like immediately.
2: And I feel like that hits on on two different fronts too, right? You can learn the sales side on. How to how to pitch your service, right? You're saying cold cold call people. I feel like that's one of the most valuable skills. Um, I think I ever learned was just being comfortable on the phone talking to someone that, like, you know, not knowing even what to say or, or really what the next step is. But you know, how do you how do you sell yourself? And then yeah, there's so much free information online. Um, there is dude, to learn dude. that, and then
1: everyone knows you know someone who's knows someone who runs a business, and so and and you can look at them. You know, there's just so, like you said, there's so much free information. There's you could take a domain name and plug it into, you know, a free website and it will tell you all these stats on it that the business owner isn't doing. And so you can take that information and just present it to them and say, Hey, look, you know, you're not getting this much traffic and the person up the street is killing you when it comes to like organic searches That's a perfect example. So why don't, you know, you let me, make you rank better for what you're doing online. And that way over time, people will find it. And like, you're providing real value to the company. The company probably has a budget that they, you know, are looking to spend a little extra money on trying to make themselves better and grow. And so you can do that stuff, like literally after learning, probably, you know, sit down, take two, three weeks worth of classes or do it in your spare time. And um, just watch YouTube videos, take notes, practice. And you can pick up on little things like that, Facebook marketing and, and make a real, real business. Um, while you're still in school or right after you graduated that even if you want to go get a real, like a, a job and a career, you know, you could just keep doing that for the rest of your life and, and build on it little by little and have this awesome thing going on on the side of your life that, you know, if you do it the right way, doesn't take, you know, 40 hours a week. You know, you might be able to build up a little side hustle. that takes five hours a week and you put five, six grand in your pocket like a month with, you know, just clear,
2: And a lot of it's transferable too, right? You can always work for someone else, do their marketing down the road. You start something on your own. Now you, you know how to do a lot of the ads. um, Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You learn, you hone those skills for when you're going to actually launch your own thing.
2: So you mentioned social media and for anyone now that wants to kind of get into contact with you, what's, what's the best way to do that? You mentioned your podcast as well. How did like, how, how can someone reach you? Where are you? What are you doing?
1: So you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Joe Zanka, On Demand Storage. You know, I'll pop up if you search me. Um, my email is just joe at on storage.com. So I am always on my email. I'm always you know, on LinkedIn. I, I try to use LinkedIn as much as I can, um, especially now that I started this podcast, which is the Get It Done podcast. I usually post my episodes on LinkedIn on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, and... So yeah, feel free to email, feel free to hit me up on a LinkedIn messenger. You know, I'll, I'll probably see it the same day you do and, and I'll, I'll definitely respond. And yeah, I'm more than happy to talk to people. I love talking to people about stuff like this.
0: Awesome, Joe. Thanks for coming on today, man, appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you guys, man. And um, I'd love to have you on, on mine at some point too. I know you guys are doing some cool things.
2: Let's do it. Yeah, of course.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks guys. This has been great.